Asian Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown, and today we are on a journey to discover Asia's newest and best podcast host. We're visiting Hong Kong. I'm with Jules Hannaford, author and podcast host of Hong Kong Confidential, a podcast which lists the lead on life and society in Hong Kong. Jules, welcome to the show. Hi, Graham. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I feel this is going to be an interesting conversation just by going on the subject matters that you talk about in your podcast. It's quite a wide set. We're going to dive into that in a minute. Pretty much everything that I think interests you personally becomes a conversation on the podcast. So it's stuff that goes real deep as well and stuff not necessarily that gets talked about in public as well. So let's go there. We'll let you know we'll put it in your capable hands you guide us through some of the subjects that you've talked about on your podcast over the next sort of 30 minutes but let's start at the top Jules where are you from originally so I'm from Australia I was born in a little country town called Riverton and then I grew sort of moved to Adelaide as a um, in my teens to boarding school and then I moved to Hong Kong about 18 years ago so I've been living here for a long time. So I absolutely love it. I've got an amazing job in an international school. And then I've just been branching out with a bit of um, podcasting. And also I wrote a book. So that's been pretty exciting times. Dabbling. And so what brought you to Hong Kong in the first place? You came, what, 2000, 2001? Yeah, exactly. Well, very good maths. Yeah, <laughs> Wasn't that hard? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I came in 2000 and uh, I came for the job that I'm in today. I've been in the same job for 18 and a half years in right. an international school. So I was working as a teacher and I was a single mum with an 11-year-old daughter. Mm. And my mum actually told me about these jobs in Hong Kong. And the first time she told me my daughter was about nine and I said, why would I want to go to a country where I'd be the tallest person in the whole country? Oh, God, yeah. And then two years later, she told me about the jobs, and I was like, yeah, that actually sounds pretty cool. I'll check it out. And I got the job and moved here, and I was coming for two years, and I'm still here. So you came across as a single mum. Your daughter was 11 at the time. Yeah, that's right. Right, yeah. okay. So that must be quite a challenge. I mean, a lot of people, when they move to another country, they often get the expat package, don't they, where everything's sort of looked after for them. They sort of get planted into the, the local city, connected to the local scene, everything's sorted out, housing and so on. But to come across with an 11-year-old daughter as well, I mean, I say that because we came to Singapore and my son was 12 at the time. And it's not easy, especially at that sort of age as well, sort of getting them integrated and so on. So it must have been a bit of a challenge coming from you from Adelaide to Hong Kong. How was that for you? It was a bit of a challenge. I mean, I sold my house in Adelaide and I packed up my life into two suitcases and two boxes and um, shipped the boxes over and came with my daughter. And I really didn't know much about Hong Kong. I hadn't really researched into what I was really coming to. So... It was a bit of a culture shock to start with, but my daughter, she wanted to come, which was great. I mm. asked her whether she'd like to go to Hong Kong, and she said yes. <laughs> if she said no, we may not have come. Mm. So, but had you been before? No, never. I've never <laughs> been here, but I met some guy in the Adelaide Central Markets who told me about um, Lama Island, this little island off Hong Kong with no cars, and it was full of hippies and arty-farty types. And it's a great place to raise children. And so I came straight to Lama Island and uh, I absolutely loved it the minute I stepped off the ferry. And I've lived here ever since. Oh, so you live I on the island? Little, yeah, I live on wow. Lama Island off Hong Kong. So I found a little community here very easily and that made it much, much easier. Mm. I, I, I imagine most people don't even know it exists. I mean, obviously Hong Kong, but Lama Island. Could you tell us a little no. bit about what the scene's like? It's the last thing you probably expect in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, it's like a little, it's a little, um, like a fishing, Chinese fishing village on a little island. There are no cars. You have to walk or bike everywhere. All the buildings are only three stories high or they're old village houses. And it's, there's a great expat community here. And it began as a very sort of hippie, hmm. arty-farty sort of community with backpackers and things like that with the expats. And now that we have people from all walks of life living here, 
um, because it's such a great little community to live in and it's significantly cheaper to, than um, living Hong Kong side. Mm. So, and, and it's just very laid back and chilled out. It's not the hustle and bustle of the big city. Mm. But do you have beaches? And Yeah, we've got no. a couple of lovely beaches. In fact, that's how I met a lot of my friends was playing volleyball down on the beach. So that was great. Mm. You, you don't expect that. I mean, I was surprised. I've been to Hong Kong many times, but when I came a few years back, I discovered there are actually beaches there. Local friends, I said, let's go to the beach. I said, wait, what do you mean? A beach in Hong Kong? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, people don't expect it, do they? But it's there. I mean, everybody's sort of impression of Hong Kong is, you know, from Kowloon to, you know, the Hong Kong Island. So that's really it, isn't it? That's what people know. But there's a lot undiscovered, isn't there? Absolutely. I thought I was coming to a city that was just going to be covered in high rises. And it's not at all. There's a lot of rolling hills and hiking trails and beaches and and it's just sort of pockets of city around the around the island so it's very different to what i thought and the, and there's a lot more english spoken here than i thought there would be as well right don't do you see any kind of irony in the sense that there's this australian girl leaving australia to go to hong kong to live by the beach is there any, yeah. I mean, has that ever sort of crossed your mind? Like, what are you doing here? What's the rationale behind that? Because on surface, it doesn't add up, does it? I mean, you've got beaches aplenty in Australia and the cost of living is probably comparable, if not cheaper in some places as well. So why do it? Well, I think initially I was looking for an adventure and, and perhaps even looking for love, which has not panned out. But that was part of my quest to get out and sort of meet more international people. And I think I just have stayed here because I love the lifestyle. I love the opportunities to travel within Asia. Um, I have a great friendship and community here. And now I've got this sort of podcasting community as mm. well. And I'm meeting more and more amazing people through the podcast. And I just love it. And it's very easy to travel home. There's no jet lag back to Australia. It's only nine-hour flight. So it's really ideal in many ways. Mm. Do you worry that now that you're out there talking about Lama Island, the secret's out? That yeah, now- yeah, I'm going to get killed if anyone listens to this. Exactly. It is a llama. They yeah. don't want anyone to know about <laughs> it. We don't... It's fairly full. <laughs> it's it's yeah. like the beach, the movie. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about your podcast now that, now that you brought it up. Ho- yeah, you Hong might Kong- have to beep Lama out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a place in Asia. Okay, all right. Yes, yes. Some little island in Asia. There's lots of islands. Well, in the Africa. secret's plenty out. Of, plenty of other good ones that people who are looking for island life <laughs> can go to, like Lantau. Yeah, go to Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Thailand. Not it. <laughs> Hong Kong Confidential, Jules. Let's talk about that. It's, uh, I mean, you know, I've been listening through some of your recent episodes. It's such a, a, a wide um, set of interest. And it's not sort of, I mean, a lot of people go into podcasting and say like, very specific, I'm going to do the HR tech podcast, which is fine. You know, it's a very domain specific, but it seems that your podcast is a lot about journeys and stories and interesting people so tell us a little bit about hong kong confidential why did you start it in the first place and what's the idea behind it so i really got into podcasts listening to podcasts over the last few years i started going through menopause and i was really having trouble sleeping so i started listening to podcasts at night sort of as a mindfulness practice really and to help me sleep and relax and I absolutely love them like I really I listen to podcasts every single day Mm. I love them so much and I really realized that I love the interview style podcasts where people really delve deep into people's stories and their journeys and you know learning about their secrets and their wisdom and all that sort of thing so I knew I wanted to do something and I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into mental health or LGBTQ issues or anything really specific. I wanted it to be Hong Kong Confidential, which I think is a great title and it lends itself to me talking to, as you said, anyone who interests me. And there are so many amazing, diverse, interesting people in Hong Kong. I've been just absolutely spoiled by the amazing guests I've been able to connect with. And there are so many fantastic stories on the mm. podcast. So I decided to start this sort of interview style podcast. 
There are many others that I really loved, you know, conversations with Richard Feidler in Australia and No Filter with Mia Friedman. And there are many other conversational interview style podcasts in the US that I really modeled my, Mm. you know, uh, This American Life and The Moth and all that sort of stuff. So I really took what I loved from those podcasts and was able to put it into my own podcast. And then I had to learn how to do it. Oh, first of all, I went to life coaching. Because I was a bit of a reality TV um, addict and all I do is like go and teach and then watch a lot of reality TV and I wanted something more interesting and exciting going on in my life. And through life coaching, it really that's where I got the idea to start my own podcast. So then I came home and I downloaded a, um, a course through Udemy with this young guy in Melbourne where I learned how to podcast over a 21-hour course that cost me like seven Australian dollars or something Mm. ridiculous. And then I taught myself how to edit via YouTube and how to upload to Libsyn via YouTube. And once I'd done all of that, I just got started. And it's just been an amazing journey for the last 18 months. And the podcast is doing really, really well. It's being listened to in over 100 countries around the world. Mm. It's a fantastic story. I love how you you just got started rather than procrastinated about it. And how much better that is than watching reality TV every day in terms of (laughs) productivity. You you mentioned um, some great podcasts that you've mentioned there as well. You've mentioned This American Life, which, you know, I guess is more sort of from the radio side of the world, but production and the production values are really high on that. And, you know, the NPR sort of editing and that's sort of really a benchmark. And then you've got podcasts like The Moth and so on. You mentioned that you took what you loved from the conversations that you had been sort of consuming yourself what did you love what was it really really struck a chord with you and i guess as well i want to ask you why didn't you do the youtube thing why didn't you say right i'm going to become a youtuber and do it all there because that's an option isn't it i think well first of all i took things from their styles their questioning and i really learned that you have to listen Like a key to being a good podcast interviewer is to really listen to what your guests are saying. So even though you research and you prepare your questions and, you know, you sort of have a plan of how you're going to go, the podcast can really go anywhere or the interview can go anywhere if you're really listening. And what I'm also doing is I'm doing all of my interviews face-to-face and I find that that's a way that I can really connect with people more so than doing it remotely like like you're doing and some podcasters do. And I find that that enables me to ask questions that I may not necessarily ask mm. if it was remote because I'm with them and I can get a sense of their body language and their facial expressions and their reactions and I'm able to delve deeper. So I've had a few people try or offer to come on my podcast from other countries, but at the moment I'm only doing it face-to-face because that's the sort of style that I want Mm. to do and I want to have that real connection and I want to be able to go deep with people right down into the depths of their psyche and their stories because that makes for a great podcast and that's what I really learned when I was listening to all of these podcasts. Another great one was Death, Sex and Money. Mm. So I love that podcast as well and they asked some great questions on there. So. It was really about, I guess, the style of interview that I learned from the podcast. And then the second part of your question was, um, what was, your, was it? Yeah, so why didn't you take to YouTube and you oh, know, yeah, sorry. do there, it all there? There, goes, there goes my crap listening skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we switched uh, the ta- different yeah. sides of the table today. so um, can... I think a lot of the reason is I don't want to see myself on camera, but it's also the love of audio is mm. – it can go anywhere. People can do it when they're walking, exercising, traveling. People have to sort of be more static if they're watching YouTube and, and it's more of a thing where you've got to sit down and concentrate, mm. whereas podcasts are so much more mobile and I feel like it's more intimate because you're really just talking to the one person that's listening. So mm. yeah. I really do love podcasts. I get that. So it's fine. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. So yeah, we're, yeah, we're on sure. board. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to This American Life producers and editors. They were talking about why audio and it's more sort of the NPR production as well. They were saying that um, it's in your head. That's why, you know, and you talk about intimacy. And th- these are terms that come up quite a lot when I talk to podcast hosts about their craft, I suppose, their shows. And, 
you, you know, YouTube has its place. And I, I guess the, the issue is, is if you go onto YouTube, you're going to have your ass handed to you by some 13 year old kid. Yeah, who's so much, too old for YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> who's so much better. They'll have a million followers before you know it. And we'll be sort of hustling away, getting one here, one there. So, I mean, with, with conversation and just the audio format, it's a little bit different, isn't it? It's, it's a lot more intimate. And I think this is, I'm curious as to how you sort of manage this with your guests as well. Is that I, I, I sort of find when starting out in podcasts that a lot of guests have been used to PR, especially for me in the business world, less so maybe when it's more sort of personal face to face. So, you know, they'll say, can you send me the questions or, you know, can I have the list of 20 questions you're going to ask? And I'm, and I say, we don't do that. I don't have a list of questions. I have, like you say, a, a general game plan or, you know, a few bullet points as to in, interesting points about this, this guest, but I'm not going to ask some specific questions because I want it to be a conversation to go deep and, you know, get into the kind of uh, conversations that you couldn't talk about in a conference or, you know, I think that's when people really feel that they've got something out of the podcast where I really learned something about Jules, you know, and her background rather than, you know, if she was to do that at a conference, it'd be a bit more clipped, it'd be a bit more polished and so on. So how, how do you get to that with your guests? I know you do it face to face, but how do you, you must have a sort of a level of trust with them or they must sort of trust you enough that they feel that you're not going to catch them out or you're not going to be a journalist. How do you get them to open up? Well, I do, what I usually do is I research my guests or the topic or the theme that we're going to discuss. And I do send them a set of questions, but I ask them not to prepare anything. And I ask them, and I tell them that I may not follow this format, but I want them, I think it makes them feel more comfortable if they've got a sort of a ballpark idea of the things that I'm going to ask. And that gives them the opportunity to say, look, I don't want to discuss that bit or mm. I don't want to talk about that element. And actually to be fair not many people have done that only a couple and then when they come in I guess just part of my nature of being a good communicator and a school teacher who works with people all day every day and I have just have the ability to make people feel comfortable and that's just part of my nature and that's part of why I do it face to face mm. and then we sit down and we start a conversation and Often I go off on tangents and then I just flick back over the questions towards the end to make sure that I've covered everything that I want to ask. Sometimes I don't look at the questions at all for the entire interview. And other times it may not be as comfortable or as flowing well and then I do use the questions quite a bit throughout the podcast. So it can really vary and depend on the guest. And it's, I think it's part of making the guests feel comfortable to give them the get, uh, the questions beforehand. Mm. But I've got to make it really clear to them not to prepare anything because I've had people come with all the answers written out. And yeah. It's like, no, The no, paper, no. sheets of notes. Yeah, somebody <laughs> reading their answers and it's like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> but what, why do you think that does not work? Because that's how it's been traditionally for years, isn't it, in PR or, or when people have done these kind of interviews. Why does people, why does somebody reading from a script not work? I think because people can tell they're reading. I think it's a real skill to be able to deliver something that doesn't, something that you're reading that doesn't sound read. And I also think that you're not getting the down to the nitty gritty of the, you know, the, the, the story behind the story because it's all pre-prepared and it's sort of manicured mm. and it's polished. And that's not what people want to hear. And I think that's another reason why people like podcasts. They like to see people's vulnerabilities. Mm. They like to see the little mistakes. They like to see or hear, I should say. <laughs> they like to hear people, you know, being caught on the back foot and really having to dig deep to get to the bottom of what they're really talking about. And that's what, you know, my most popular sub, my most popular podcasts are on, um, the personal story mm. topics you know, that are really, really where people are sharing their vulnerabilities and, and are showing their, owning their own story, should we say, like Brené Brown says. Mm. And they're the podcast that people absolutely love because that makes people feel better about owning their story or sharing their story or not feeling so much shame or guilt or whatever emotion, that negative emotion that they're feeling into relation with what's going on in their life. So I think 
you know, that's why it's good to have it much more natural. Vulnerability, it's an interesting word, isn't it? it it's, I think, you know, it, we don't really talk about that. We, so we build walls around ourselves, don't we? To be vulnerable in a way has been sign of weakness, hasn't it? In the sort of like the, the public sphere and people build walls around them in, you know, and not physical walls, but you know, the emotional walls like titles and you know, prestige. And we, we go onto Instagram now and everything's fake. You know, all the girls have huge eyes and you know, they're all sort of like fake dangles and the, the guys as well. It, you know, we live in a world increasingly faked, Social media has done a lot for that, you know, it got to, I mean, the whole idea of friendship as well has been hijacked by social media, isn't it? You know, these people aren't really friends, they're Facebook friends. So it's, you know, we live in a world which is increasingly inauthentic, if that's the word, yet, you know, there seems to be this push in the other way. And what you're doing with your conversations is digging deeper. And, you know, as we go more and more into the world of fake, filtered algorithms and so on we we have this sort of yearning for stuff that's more human and the subjects that you talk about are very human as well aren't they i mean you've got everything from just looking down the list from obviously expat life to sexual abuse to genderqueer bodybuilding you know it, it's a real mix isn't it and then you know you've got social causes all the way up to consumer electronics <laughs> it's, it's a real yeah. mix, and i love it and i think you know, because people say, well, you know, you should have like a focus, but you seem to be focused on that. And you said it, you said it, the story behind the story. And yeah. we don't say that enough, that vulnerability in humans, you know, I find that fascinating. And I want to sort of like go a little bit deeper into that. Like, why does that interest you as a host? And why do you think it's something, you know, like you talked about Brene Brown and brought her up. It's, it's, it's a leadership position in a way, isn't it? To be vulnerable and to, it's a, you know, to sense to step up and say, Hey, look, this is who I am. I'm, I'm naked in front of the, the public here almost, right. You know, I'm vulnerable, but that's how I'm going to lead and show by example. I think it stems from the fact that I've done a counseling course that I can't, I counsel teenagers that I do have to use my communication skills every day in my job. I'm ahead of year where I have to get to the bottom of personal, social, emotional and academic issues with students. And I think that I just am have always been a natural communicator. And, you know, part of getting to having these more authentic and deeper conversations, it's good. It's great for me personally and it's great for the listener and I hope it's great for the guest as well to open up and to share because, once we do open up and share our vulnerabilities, we really realize that we don't have to feel the negative emotions that I was talking about, like shame or guilt. And, mm. you know, I wrote a book called Fool Me Twice, which has just been published in August. And that's about my journey online dating, where I was scammed and assaulted in, in an online dating situation in the UK. And it's really through my podcast and being with people who were so open and so vulnerable that I was able to um, open up about my story because I'd been doing it through podcasting. And I thought, well, if my guests can do it, why can't I do it through writing my book and sharing my story? And in the hope that then other people won't make the same mistakes mm. that I have. So by sharing all of these stories, it's educating, it's entertaining, and it's helping people perhaps come to terms with their own issues. I've got stuff on fertility and egg donation and IVF and LGBTQ issues and transgender issues and all these things. And a lot of people, their issues that they may feel that they can't speak about. And mm. so if they hear others talking about these issues on a podcast and things like being scanned online dating, because I... I talk about that as well in my podcast a bit here and there and menopause, you know, things like that. I've got a podcast on menopause and it's had so many hits. I actually thought it was a bit too niche and I wouldn't get many people listening, but it's in my top six podcasts. Mm. People want to hear about these things that aren't often spoken about. And that's why I'm sort of trying to get stories that people are often not really willing to vocalize. And in the, and the other thing that I do when I'm um, interviewing my guests is I make sure that I open up about myself and my story on the mm. way because I think as a podcast host, 
you've got to show your own self and your own vulnerabilities to your listeners so that your listeners feel that they're really getting to know you and connecting with you. And that's part of how you build an audience. Mm. It's not just up to your guests to open up. You've got to do that too. Yeah. These are really interesting points. I think, you know, to to podcast hosts that will be listening to this, there's there's a lot of takeaways, isn't there? Because, you know, when I went into podcasting initially, I thought it was all about just talking about the guest story, the story behind the story, which is fine. But I think what I was afraid to do was, like you mentioned, open up and talk about myself. Because in a way, you know, you can easily get into that dynamic where you're the host you're interviewing somebody and then you're just kind of asking questions and nobody learns about you as the host as well in the process, right? So, you know, you just become this sort of neutral object in the whole conversation, whereas you need to be involved in that conversation. I think that was my challenge when I was podcasting and learning, actually, I've got to get involved in the conversation rather than just be this sort of interviewer. Because, you know, somebody could listen to a hundred podcast conversations with me and not know anything about me. You know, not anything about I live in Singapore or, you know, I mentioned I have a son and so on. So that was always the challenge. And, you know, I think as well, you know, I I don't know how you feel about this is that when people ask, you know, why do you podcast is that one of the reasons why, you know, I went into podcasting because it's like a safe space for me. I can ask kind of questions and have conversations with people I wouldn't normally have. You know, if I was to sit face to face with you without a microphone, Jules, I don't know if we could have this kind of conversation. So in a way, I don't know what that is. Is is it because within the podcast, there's sort of confines. We know we're not going to go completely off limits. We know it's limited in format. Therefore, we can talk about things we wouldn't normally talk about. And for me as an individual, that really works because put me in a room with a, you know, a beer in my hand and a networking event, I will just sort of, you know, wish the the ground opened up and swallowed me alive. Mm-hmm. It's like a nightmare scenario. I hate networking events, but podcasting, I feel absolutely fine about. Oh, see, that's so interesting because I think I ask very similar questions in real life and I'm a real communicator and connector. So, But I totally get where you're coming from because it does give you license to dig a, dig a bit deeper and to go places that you may not go with somebody that you've certainly just first met. Mm. Um, but I am definitely somebody who sort of likes to have in-depth conversations. Mm. But I think that it just – what it does for me is it really gets me to connect with the most amazing people and it's so uplifting and inspiring and I feel certainly so inspired. But I have really made a point all the way through this journey to make sure that I'm opening up as I go along. And people who listen to me regularly will know a lot about my life. They'll know that I'm in my 50s. They'll know that I'm tall. They'll know that I, I'm, you know, weigh a lot. They'll know that I'm in menopause. They'll know I'm from Australia. You know, there's loads of stuff that they will know about um, and that I've got one child and all this sort of thing. So um, I think that that really does make me um, – I hope it makes my listeners feel connected to me and wanting to listen to the mm. show, not only for the guests, but also for getting to know me as well. Mm. I think it's admirable what you've done. You know, you've, you've sort of stepped out and you've been quite brave in doing that, which is great. I mean, maybe – that completely is natural to you, as you say, in day-to-day life. But for all of us mortals, it's not. It's hard <laughs> doing that in the, the public sphere. Well, you know, in terms of the guests that you do have, you talk about being inspired. Without sort of mentioning individuals at this stage, can you sort of describe that feeling that after you've done that podcast with a particular guest, what's it like, you know, when you, I don't know if you wear headphones, you take those headphones off or you, you hit stop and you realize you're done. How do you feel after that podcast? What are the sort of the initial sort of like takeaways from that? I think there's almost a rush of, of adrenaline. It's almost like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. And mm. I feel just so inspired, whether it's to go and you know, start redefining my life or whether it's to go on some, you know, health kick or whether it's to make a difference with the homeless or, you know, whatever it is, I often feel like I want to, you know, get involved in whatever this person's talking about or to make a difference in the community and to others. But then I realise I don't have that much time (laughs) between teaching full-time, podcasting and writing a book. There's not much time for um, these other projects but you know that feeling of 
just that joyful feeling of mm. connecting with somebody and really feeling like I've gotten to know somebody in one hour. It's so amazing. And then to feel like hopefully I'm putting something out there that's going to make a difference to somebody out there. And just to share one story, like one of my top podcasts for the downloads is um, with Kate McAllister who had a stroke at the age of 31. It's called Stroke. And I had an email from a woman, a 25-year-old girl in the U.S. who had had the same sort of dissection in her neck and a stroke, and she felt so alone and like nobody understood her. And to hear this podcast had such an impact on her, and she wanted to get in touch with Kate, the girl who had had the stroke. And that brought tears to my eyes Mm. to have made that difference in this one person's life was just such an achievement and an accomplishment. And, And that's the little things where you are impacting that individual that is so special. Yeah. Those are amazing, those moments, aren't they? And, you know, that young lady reaching out to you as well, I I guess that's what you, you know, that's the the motivation and the fuel to keep going when it gets hard because it's not always easy, isn't it, running a podcast? You know, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't see. It looks easy. It looks like you just turn up and press record and it's done. Yet, there's a lot more sort of organization and a lot more operations, especially when you're busy and you've got a full-time job, like you say, and, you know, you're a mother and all that that thrown into the mix. So, you know, I mean, talking about that is that I think that is it Seth Godin, the author, the marketing author said that, you know, one of the great ways to measure what, you know, how well you're doing rather than looking at the metrics and the downloads is to ask, you know, um, will people miss you when you're gone? Right. And, you know, will people yeah. miss that newsletter or that podcast that you're doing? And the fact that if you didn't do that episode, that that young lady in the US, that wouldn't have. I mean, obviously, that's made a profound impact on her. Right. And yeah. enough that maybe that's the, the therapy or the conversation connection that she needed. Right. So do you go into your conversations with that in mind? Like, OK, so I've created this really amazing episode about stroke and had this really great conversation and we went really deep and talked about things we wouldn't normally talk about when you go into your next conversation how how does that sort of shape the kind of questions you're going to ask and the kind of people that you want on your show well i think what i've learned through this process is that there are some conversations where i don't feel that it's necessarily a topic that really interests me but that I mean, I'm interested, but it's not something that necessarily that impacts me. But then I get feedback from others that are hugely impacted by certain things. Mm-hmm. So what I've learned is what I love and what really inspires and impacts me is not necessarily what is going to impact others and that people can really be inspired by all sorts of things. So I really feel that every show that I do, whether some are not quite as deep and meaningful as others, and some can be quite funny and irreverent, Um, and some are much more in-depth and meaningful, every show can impact somebody somewhere, and that's something that I've learned. Mm. And and I do always feel some level of connection and inspiration with every guest that I have, which is really lovely. Mm. And I have had topics on where I haven't known much about what's going on. Like I've really had to research before I've gone in to interview them. There's a couple coming up, one on clean cosmetics, which I didn't know much about, and also one on cancer research with a cancer doctor. So I had to research these areas, and neither of them were really in my wheelhouse, but they were both really fascinating, interesting podcasts, and I think that they'll really have an impact on some of the listeners out there. So it's very interesting to learn this. It doesn't necessarily have to be something I'm familiar with Mm. and have a real passion about. And Can you identify what makes a great guest in that context? Do you have sort of pointers? I mean, it's never guaranteed until they turn up and you ask the questions, right? But do you I have a sort a, of an inkling? Yeah, I think a great guest is somebody who can relax and be comfortable and wi- is willing to open up. Somebody who's comfortable to talk about themselves and just is naturally has a bit of self-confidence and is able to speak confidently about mm. whatever they're talking about. And I think I think somebody who you connect with who is open to connecting with you as a host I think that is really important as well and you know all of my guests have been fantastic in different ways but there certainly are 
some people that stand out in the way that they're able to articulate their thoughts and their feelings. Mm. That's the, the, the holy grail, isn't it? That's the, the key is, is who are those guests? How do we sort of find people like that? Because it's a bit of a, at the beginning when you're we're starting out in the podcast, it's a bit of a crapshoot, isn't it? You're just kind of randomly sort of going mm-hmm. through until you sort of hit your groove, find guests yeah. that really connect with you around themes that you can talk about as well or things that, I mean, you don't have to be things that, like you say, you're an expert in, but just if people are really interesting you know, it can be somebody doing something really specific that you know nothing about, but they're just passionate about it. And that's interesting. The fact that you can, you get interested in something because somebody else is really passionate about it. Yeah, exactly. And just trying to find those people as well. And, you know, I I find with some of my guests is that sometimes in business, the big names are not necessarily the best speakers, right? Because they come with handlers and, oh, you can't ask, you know, Miss Hannaford this, or you can't say that, you know, all that kind of nonsense that goes with it. Yet the ones who, I mean, I, I, you know, I think everybody has a great story to tell. It's whether or not they're willing to tell it or in many cases, they don't know their story, do they? I mean, a lot of guests are so busy. I don't know, like the, your cancer researcher or clean cosmetics people, they're so busy head down doing it that, you know, when somebody asks them about their story, they don't often get in that situation. They're not sort of self-promoters, are they? So when they actually sort of sit back and they've done the podcast with you, you think, wow, I didn't realize that about what I was doing or, you know, my story. So do you get those kind of moments where, you know, you're in a way you're kind of getting the story out of them that it, it, they're not naturally doing that on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. I've definitely had people say, oh, I didn't think I was going to speak about that or I've never told that to anybody before or, oh, my gosh, you got me talking about things I wouldn't normally talk about for sure. And, you know, oh, my parents don't even know this story yet, but I guess they'll hear oh. it on the podcast, you know. I've had loads of that. But the other thing that I notice that's really interesting is if I'm off my game, I don't do as good a job and then that doesn't serve the guests very well either. Like I have had an interview recently where I just couldn't concentrate. I felt super tired and I wasn't I wasn't in the right headspace for it and I didn't do a good job and I think that impacted the guest as well. So it really works both ways and I do if a, if an interview doesn't necessarily go as well, I think I can take responsibility for that as well. I think it's up to me to make the person feel comfortable Mm. and really be able to elicit a really good conversation out of them. And if I can't do that, and if it doesn't go well, it's not just the guest's fault. It's certainly my fault as well. Mm. Are are there people that you you model yourself on or people that you've sort of drawn uh, insights from as as interviewers or conversation hosts? I mean, not just in the podcast world, but everybody that came before us in radio or TV or media or journalism, writers and so on. Who have you sort of like drawn from? I really love Anna Sale from Mm. Death, Sex and Money. She's fantastic. And she's actually the person that I modelled on. And she actually did a little thing on being a good podcast host once somewhere that I listened to in a podcast. And that was brilliant to to listen to. Mm. What does she sort of share? just about interviewing techniques and connecting with people. And I remember getting up out of bed and taking notes on it, but it's just, I just listened to it at the right time. And Laura Peterson from copy that pops. She's really amazing. I love her, the way that she connects with people and her interview style. And I used her podcast as a way to help as a um, tool to help me write my book. But I think she's a great interviewer. And Jordan Harbinger is absolutely mm. amazing in the Jordan Harbinger show. He really is such a good listener and he really, really connects with his guests. And Travis Chappell is really brilliant as well from his um, uh, Find Your Network, is it called, his yeah. podcast. Yeah. But he's a really brilliant interviewer as well. And then, of course, you know, the guru of, um, of podcasting, Pat Flynn, and mm-hmm. his, you know, he's amazing as well. So. And I've met some of these people going to podcast festivals. So I went to Pod Movement in Philadelphia last year and I went to We Are Podcast in um, Brisbane last year as well. And I got to meet all of these people and they're just so down to earth. Mm. The podcasting community are so welcoming and 
and kind and warm and, you know, they share their knowledge and they're such wonderful people, whether they be the famous podcasters or your peers, podcasting peers, I really feel like I've found my tribe and I feel like it's such a great community Mm. to be a part of. And there are so many people that inspire out there. It's amazing. I could go on. There are more. Alison Melody. um, Yeah, there's so so Mm. many. Melissa from Mind Love Podcast. There are so many people that do such a good job. Yeah. And we need more of those in Asia, don't we? We need those podcast festivals here. Well, we're hoping to do one this year in May in Mm. Hong Kong. Mm. We're just waiting to hear whether we get um, selected as a part of the Spoken Word Festival in Hong Kong. Mm. And we're hoping to have a a podcasting festival here. So it'll be the first one. I think there might have been one like 15 years ago or something in Hong Kong. (laughs) But it'll be the first one. Not consistently there. Yeah. And there are some great podcasters here who we've all connected and we've got our own little Hong Kong pod squad. Yeah. Regina from Hashtag Impact and Sarah yeah. Tang from Better in Bed and um, Rachel Smith from Hong Kong Stories and Adler Stad- Aaron Stadler-Robbie is just starting his podcast, Talking Mental, about mental health issues. And he's he's got a lot of interest and a big groundswell of support behind him. So I think his mm. podcast is going to do super well. Yeah, we had Gina on the show, and I love what she does with the Hashtag Impact podcast as well. And yeah, it's very much modelled on that sort of this American lifestyle, isn't it? I mean, I, I mentioned that to her. She was pleased at that sort of comparison. I think it's sort of a, a high bar to work towards. And yeah, she's brilliant. I had her on my show as well. It's called Hong Kong Pod Squad. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I interviewed her. It was great. Was well, th- these little communities popping up as well? We have, you know, there's, there's a lot of podcasters here in Singapore, and there's some all over Asia as well. There's a lot in mainland China. It, it's growing, and the dots are joining slowly. And I think one of the, the interesting conversations that that come up between you know podcast host podcast host is that you know what do you do when people tell you that they don't have 20 minutes to listen to a podcast right i mean people ask me is it, uh, how long should my podcast be and they they ask me 15 minutes 20 minutes i'm saying come on this is like 45 minutes is really for me like the sweet spot of a yeah. podcast i mean some people i mean you look at joe rogan three hours you know and yeah. that, that goes on right and trying to explain that to people when they're thinking like 15 minutes i don't have time you know can you condense it down can you make it three minutes can you make it four minutes just the sound bites so that's out there and i think with anybody that sort of has that conversation is look you can't dissuade people you can't convert people either they're into it or they're not right you know people don't say i don't have 15 minutes for a coffee right you know people go into starbucks and have three hours in there right just sitting around chatting and so on these are conversations we don't have in our day-to-day life so how do you deal with that you must get people who talk to you and say podcasting what are you going on about jules why are you doing that it's like youtube now or we don't have that time to listen to a podcast well, I think that what people have got to understand is they can turn their podcast off anytime and come back to it and it will be there scheduled at the same spot where they finished ready to listen to it at another time. And that's one of the beauties of, of podcasting is that or listening to podcasts is that you can come back to it. And I think once people start, if they find something amazing that they love, then they'll just get hooked. It just takes that one podcast where you absolutely love it. And I have to say, in my journey, I went from being really loving these interview-style shows, which I still love and listen to, but I've got a real thing for true crime now. Mm. And um, I'm going to turn my book into a true crime podcast. So I'm just in the process of (laughs) working towards that this year, and that'll just be a sort of a 10-part standalone true crime podcast about my online dating journey so i'm looking forward to doing that as well wow that sounds amazing yeah and these yeah, like are really cool. deep aren't they I, I have a friend who's really into history podcasts and he, those podcasts are like six hours long you know oh my god yeah they're, they're like indulgent but i think you have to don't you because we live in a world where you know everything's gamed it's eight seconds attention spans and all that kind of nonsense that people are sort of pushing back the other way so they want to get into like that story of true crime or your internet dating, you know, odyssey. Yeah. People want that, don't they? Oh, gosh, I can binge listen podcasts for hours in a day. (laughs) I really can. And the other thing is I've done some 20-minute podcasts and then I've got one that's an hour or two that are an hour and a half long. 
And it doesn't seem to make any difference with the downloads. People, mm. if they're interested, will listen. It's interesting. And, you know, whether they listen to the whole thing or not, I don't know. But, you know, it doesn't really matter. I think it's the story that people want to hear and it's very easy to get lost in it. And because it is it's so intimate and because people can do it on the go, like they can just keep listening while they go about their day. Yeah, yeah. And absolutely. there are loads of people in jobs who, where they have to do, you know, manual labor or whatever that listen to podcasts all day. Mm. Yeah, mm. there is a market out there. So let's don't give in to the naysayers as well. So how, yeah, how, many, exactly. how many episodes <laughs> are you in now? How many have you done? I've done 75 and I've got about 10 more in the in the bank. In the so, pipe. Okay. Yeah. So number 75, if you were to compare that to where you were number one or your first handful of podcasts, what was changed with you personally, apart from the tech setup and so on, but you as a, All right, I, a host? Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to say I've upgraded my equipment. <laughs> um, I think me as a host, I'm more relaxed now and I'm able to delve deeper. But I think, you know, the editing of it has improved. Like I sort of crashed everything together and made it a bit fast and tight in the early days. And now I'm into, have, you know, letting the natural pauses stay in and letting the rhythm of the podcast flow a bit more. And I guess I don't worry so less if I make a mistake or if the other person makes mm. a mistake because you can just edit it out. It's no problem. And I think if people, you know, I, I – I sort of remind people at the beginning now that don't worry if you say something that you don't want in there, let me know at the end and I can take it out. So I, I think that makes them feel more relaxed and free mm. to be open because they know afterwards if they reflect and they don't want something in there, then I'll take it out. And I have been in that situation a few times. Mm. But I think that helps people to feel more comfortable and open up. And I'm certainly quicker, much quicker at everything. <laughs> I'm quicker at the research and coming up with the questions and all of that. And, and um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just think it's a really good, you know, personal growth process in many ways. Absolutely. Without a doubt. And you get to, I, I th you know, that whole meeting with people and creating those conversations together, it's out there forever. You know, you can have a coffee with somebody and, in many instances, you after a few years, you might forget about them, right? Because you meet so many people in your day-to-day -day life. Yeah, if you were to create a podcast with somebody, it's out there forever, isn't it? You've created yeah. something with somebody. And you get to meet amazing people that normally you, you might not get to meet. You know, you could reach out to people and say, let's do this. You know, I read your book or I listened to what you said on this podcast or I saw you speak at this event or I see you're working on this project. Would love to get you on the show and talk about it. It's very difficult in normal life to meet those people because they're busy, aren't they? I mean, you know, just having a podcast is a great way to meet people, have great conversations and be inspired. So recommended to everybody. And then on top of that, audience is a bonus. I mean, I will say to people that don't worry about your audience. Have great conversations. The audience will come, you know. Don't do it necessarily for the audience, but do it for the conversations and the meetings that you may have. And if people listen to those conversations, that's all a bonus. So Yeah, exactly. It's about creativity is so good for the soul, and that's what we're doing is we're being creative. And then, you know, if you create good, consistent content, then your audience will come. And something that I learned very early on is that it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, mm. and it takes time. And you know, you've got to be patient and not, I don't think, get fixated on the numbers. I was so fixated on the numbers in my early days of <laughs> podcasting, and now I'm not so much at all. Um, I mean, I still obviously check them, but not like I used to. And I'm more inspired by the feedback that I get, people mm. sending me a text, sending me an email, making a comment on my Hong Kong Confidential Facebook page or on Instagram that's the stuff that really, really makes me feel good about what I'm doing because that's where you can see a tangible impact that you're having on other people, and that's so nice. Yeah, job done. Where does it go from here, Jules? 75 in, where would you be at 150? Oh, gosh, I, I probably will still be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm hoping to be able to continue. It's, it's um, 
quite hard to do it all with a full-time teaching job and all of my other responsibilities, but I get so much out of it and I love it. I hope that I can at some point get a sponsor or get some sort of be able to monetize my podcast in some way, but it's finding time to do that and working out how to do it. And I've learned loads by going to the podcast conferences of how to do it, but there's loads of ideas and ways to do it. But it's finding the time to put into it. And I think that people that do perhaps build their podcast into a business, they've got, they've got the time to do that. And their podcast is often linked to their business. Mm. So, but, um, yeah, I'm just going to continue with Hong Kong Confidential for sure. And I want to do my, um, podcast on my book for me twice. And I just want to continue getting out to these podcast festivals. And connecting with other podcasters because that's a huge joy as well. Mm. And thank you to you for, you know, connecting all of us podcasters in Asia through your podcast. I think that's really such a great idea and I appreciate the opportunity. It's fabulous. Well, it's great to have you on, Jules. It's been a real pleasure and I've enjoyed learning a bit about your journey and the podcast and, you know, some of the, the issues that you've talked about as well. So let's do the shout out, Jules Haddaford. Let's do the shout out for the Hong Kong Confidential podcast. Where can we find it? So if people want to listen to Hong Kong Confidential, they can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere that you find your podcast. I've got a webpage, hongkongconfidential.net, where you can listen to the podcast as well. And I am on social media, um, Hong Kong Confidential on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter, I'm at Jules Hannaford and same on LinkedIn. So people can find me all over the place. And just a quick shout out for my book, For Me Twice by Jules Hannaford. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and it's in all the bookstores in Hong Kong and Dimmick and Adelaide. Well done. All the best with that. And I'm looking forward to um, catching up at one of these podcast festivals at some point yeah for sure graham it'll be awesome to meet yeah. you and and let's if you're ever in hong kong let's connect absolutely it's jules hannaford everybody thank you so much thanks graham thanks so much for having me on your show it's been an absolute pleasure you've been listening to asia tech podcast find out more at atp.show